Welcome to Freya's Fairy Tales, where we believe fairy tales are both stories we enjoyed as children and something that we can achieve ourselves. Each week, we will talk to authors about their favorite fairy tales when they were kids and their adventure to holding their very own fairy tale in their hands. At the end of each episode, we will finish off with the fairy tale or short story read as close to the original author's version as possible. I am your host, Freya Victoria. I'm an audiobook narrator that loves reading fairy tales, novels, and bringing stories to life through narration. I'm also fascinated by talking to authors and learning about their why and how for creating their stories. We've included all of the links for today's author and our show in the show notes. Today is part one of two, where we are talking to Roxy Eloise about her debut novel, The Guidel, Discovering Puricordis. Over the next two weeks, you will learn how her teacher influenced her writing career, the unique way she came up with her story, and her journey to getting traditionally published. In a future where the mention of magic is banned, one paranoid man rules the entire country. Adopting children to become his private bodyguards, they are raised together in a strict institute where 16-year-old Aurora struggles to follow the rules. Finding herself disciplined often, she doesn't particularly like her endless life of servitude. Soon, she will have to take part in the Institute's annual unity ceremony where she could end up engaged to a complete stranger. Aurora's fears of being different are realized when she discovers something about herself, something which will make most fear her and her adoptive father will want her killed for. Friends, bullies, and a touch of something magical, Aurora's first year in the grown-ups quarter is far from ordinary. Roxy, you... <laughs> Um, you know, the theme of the the show is Freya's fairy tale, so Freya being me. And um, you know, that that's twofold. It's one, fairy tales when you were a kid growing up, what you liked to either watch a movie of or what you liked to read or whatever the case may be as a kid's book, or maybe you liked the creepy versions as a kid, whatever. Um, and also in the, you know, once you've written a book and had it published or self-published or whatever the case may be, that's also, I mean, if you've gone through all the time to write a book, that's got to be some kind of a fairy tale for you getting there. So what what was your favorite fairy tale to listen to, watch, read as a kid? So my favorite fairy tale actually changed from when I was a child to when I was a teenager and I think it was possibly because my mind was a little we're a little, a little bit more simple when we're children so what interested me as a child was different completely different to what interested me as a teenager mm -hmm. and my favorite fairy tale as a child was Rapunzel and the thing that used to intrigue me about Rapunzel was uh, fascinated me was the length that she could grow her hair <laughs> but more than that it was uh, like with the the darkness and I think something intrigues us about dark storylines mm -hmm. and it did as a child and what used to fascinate me was she was a, a, like a I don't think she was a princess, but let's just pretend she was. She was kept up in a tower so high up off the ground. There was no stairs and no room that she could get out of. There was no door that she could get out of. Mm -hmm. And her captor, who kept her up in that tower, 
used to ask her to drop her hair down so she could climb up her hair and get in and Mm -hmm. help her. So there was this unhealthy relationship where her captor was also looking after her. Mm-hmm. And that's a storyline that, that used to fascinate me as a child. Mm-hmm. But then growing up, it changed and my favorite fairy tale became Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, um, that's my favorite one too. <laughs> I think, hopefully, un- you have to tell me what your, why, what reason your, it's your favorite. But um, for me, it was, um, it basically had a message that um, love is blind and mm-hmm um true love is blind and for some reason that scene where they would start dancing uh used to make me cry mm-hmm. and um there's a series called uh once upon a time on uh, netflix that's how i mm-hmm. watch it and they um have like an adaptation where rumple's Stiltskin is actually mm-hmm. the beast and even in that adaptation where Rumpel, Stiltskin and Belle did their dance it made me cry so I don't know what it is about that scene that upsets <laughs> me or, or stirs up emotion but it just does. Yeah that that show I watched it I waited until um it was one of those shows where all of my friends, all of my friends on social media that had watched it went on and on and on about it. And I was very, very hesitant because there's been a lot of times where shows or movies have come out or books even that everybody talked about. And then you read it and it's just a letdown. And so I waited mm-hmm. until like three, three, four seasons in before I decided to even watch one episode. And then I was like, I don't I don't remember if my husband was out of town or what happened, um, but I'm like, we're going to we're going to watch an episode and we're just going to see like what all the hype is about, if it's actually that good. And I ended up binge watching like <laughs> I just kept watching and watching and watching. Um, yeah, that one. They did a really good job of taking both the classic and the original versions and kind of twisting them to make it. um like to like combine them together, but then taking characters uh-huh. from like other stories that didn't even like, for example, the Rumble Stillskin. Like, yeah, the Beast's uh-huh. name wasn't Rumble Stillskin in Beauty. Yeah, and the Beast, I love that they were. They, I they love like the way matched they did it. That. Yes, when they when a new character was introduced, I was really waiting to find out who which fairy tale character is yeah. this going to be. <laughs> My favorite part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thing that like I really liked about Once Upon a Time is how they made the fairy tales so realistic mm-hmm. that they could potentially have existed in the real world now. And I really like how some some stories do that, where you would kind of wonder you could like if you let your imagination run wild, you could wonder does it actually exist? And right. That's well, how that they. Actually how they intertwine all of these stories or like, you know, most majority of these fairy tales and some of them are, I actually, for a a Twitter post, I looked up like, what is the first known fairy tale? And they said the first known fairy tale, I don't remember what the name of the fairy tale, something about a tallow candle. No, 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 no. I don't remember what the story was, but it's like six to 7,000 years old. This story has been like circulating and developing and that's just the first like one that there's written record of. So there could be, you know, mm-hmm. other ones older than that. We just don't have a written account yeah, of it. Um, yeah. yeah. So but a lot of those stories were written for some kind of a moral purpose. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if they were just 
darker back then to scare the hell out of these poor kids or what the case may be. But it's what fascinates people, I think, there's, there's such, yeah. such, for some reason, dark storylines, they do intrigue us. For some Which reason. is why, you know, crime podcasts do so well and crime exactly. shows do so well, because it's for me, I love those kind of things, but I'm not in it for the like my mom used to always joke with my dad, like if I ever like die or go missing it's because he watches all these crime shows to learn how to do it i'm more fascinated <laughs> by the how they solve it part of it um but it's still yeah. the, a little bit of a dark fascination yeah. I guess. <laughs> like how 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 can another human being do that that's yeah. what's like mind-blowing for me i'm like how does anybody <laughs> have what it takes to do that so so your fairy tales changed over time. At what age did you start thinking, I want to write stories or being a writer would be cool or whatever it was that started you thinking about it? Um, so growing up, I I lived in my imagination. I had a younger brother that's a similar age to me and my mom had horses. So she would let us basically run wild up the stables and we would play the same game where we were both the characters we would adopt the same two characters I'd be one he'd be the other and <laughs> then and we were the characters in the story and mm-hmm. then the next day we would basically like continue where the the story left off and mm-hmm. one day we would be bank clerks and one day we would be shop owners and uh, it was just <laughs> always the story was always changing but we were the characters so I had such a strong imagination. I was always, once I grew older and it was no longer acceptable to play anymore, mm-hmm. I started continuing the story in my head. Mm-hmm. And I would literally imagine the characters, the lives, their dialogue. And I used to think, oh, I really should write this down. I really should mm-hmm. write this down. But these stories in my head, I was always kind of living in my head. I think it was a bit of a coping mechanism. Uh, it was definitely escapism. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, for some reason, that authors were born knowing that they could write a book from start to finish. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that. Right. So I kind of wanted somebody to tell me that I could do that. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really write stories down unless it was a school assignment. And it wasn't until secondary school mm-hmm. that I got given an assignment and uh, it was to write a short story. And I loved absolutely everything about it. And I thought, OK, mm-hmm. this, there was this one sentence in this story that I was so impressed with that I thought if I'm supposed to be a author, if I've got what it takes and I can finish a book from start to finish, my mm-hmm. teacher is going to be able to tell me and it's going to be from this one sentence that I was so impressed with. Well, she uh, did notice the sentence and she told me it was unrealistic. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, okay, so I'm not, I haven't got what it takes right. to be an author. So I closed my notebook and I did not, right for 15 years because I did not anything takes nothing nothing and not even did I not write anything for 15 years I couldn't even read fiction books because it used to upset me that this is what I really want to do this Mm -hmm. is what I want to create but I don't have what it takes but I was fascinated with authors so fascinated that when I would be in a bookstore I would stare 
it at all the books, but I was just staring at each author's individual name. I was just staring at their name thinking, wow, you had what it took. Wow, mm-hmm. you had what it took. So literally my whole adult life, I stopped reading fiction and I didn't write down a single thing. And um, I used to read a lot of nonfiction, but fiction just made me feel a little bit upset that I didn't have what it took to do it. And luckily, it was a um, a nonfiction book that my best friend gave me called You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you pronounce her name like that. Um, she said in this book, basically, if there is something that you want to do, mm-hmm. do it, just do it. And because she was writing a book, Jen was writing the book, she kept using writing a book as an example of mm-hmm. um, just just do it. And she was saying, like, break it down chapter by chapter and stuff like that. She was just using her because that's what she was going through. Mm-hmm. And this is how she does it. She was right. just breaking it down. And it just happened to make me think, do you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to write a book. And yeah, she gave me the, the that one book gave me the belief. And then um, other motivational speakers and stuff like that. I used to have to listen to a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And it, I did what she said and I broke it down chapter by chapter and uh, didn't stop. And I finished the book. So now for <laughs> us, for us in, in the US, we have like three different phases of, well, I guess four different phases of school. There's like elementary school, pre K, if you go to like before elementary school, um, and then there's middle school and then there's high school. So secondary school would have been like what age range for you? Um, that is high school. I was, um, I think I was 13, maybe 12 or 13 when that okay. English teacher gave me the assignment back and said my st- my line was unrealistic. Okay. And so you started, you know, again, I, I, I lightly stalked. So you started writing this book in 2013, 2014? 2018. Okay, 2018. So what... So you you read You're a Badass. You think I can do this. Is this the first book that now by the time this podcast airs, your book will actually be released. It's your book oh. releases on the 2nd, right? Yeah, 2nd of April. Okay, so this will be airing on the 4th. So you'll be you'll be a officially Ooh. published live author for that. two whole days. <laughs> uh, so was this the first book you tried to write after reading that nonfiction? Um, or was there actually, another one? No, I actually started writing nonfiction because I didn't have the story. I didn't know what to write. And um, as I was writing this nonfiction, in the back of my mind, I was just saying, like, it was telling me, you don't want to write this. You don't want to write nonfiction. (laughs) You want to write fiction. But (laughs) I kept going. (laughs) I kept going with it until um, one night I had this really powerful dream it's the the best dream I've ever had mm-hmm. and I woke up in the morning and I was like wow that is my story I have mm-hmm. to write this down and so my antagonist my protagonist and the setting the institute mm-hmm. it all came from my dream and I woke up in the morning and what was being repeated at me during my dream was if you don't act like everybody else is because I was me in the dream and it was really quite scary because as dreams are everything feels real so I was put into this 
this institute and everybody's acting the same way and everyone seems to know what they're doing and I didn't because I've just appeared in this institute <laughs> like wow where am I <laughs> as me <laughs> and one guy notices that I'm not doing the same as everybody else and he says to me if you don't start acting like everybody else this guy this pro antagonist guy he's gonna know that you're the guidel mm-hmm. so dream was spent trying to anticipate how I was supposed to act and who who I was supposed to be and and at one point even in the dream the antagonist he detects something in me that I'm not acting right and he comes right in my face and he's applying pain to me and he's he's staring right in my face he's so close to me and I'm trying to I don't know how to act in the situation. I was thinking like, how would everybody else act? So I mm-hmm. just pretended it wasn't hurting me. Mm-hmm. And apparently that was the correct thing. And he backed <laughs> away <sighs> and he left me alone. But mm-hmm. the fear was real. And I woke up in the morning and I was like, whoa, the guidel, the guidel, the guidel. <laughs> and <laughs> luckily my publishers allowed me to keep the title of my book. So in your dream, did you like, did any of the characters have names in your dream or was it just kind of like nondescript people? (laughs) Yeah, nondescript people. There were no names whatsoever. So there are a lot of aspects of my book that actually came from just what's interesting to me, Mm -hmm. what I find interesting and what fascinates me. So when you're writing this book, so you started it in 2018. When did you finish writing the book? Or the the original version, yeah. The the first draft from from start to finish, it took me about nine months, and then the other three months were um, revising and editing. Mm Because I thought at nine months, once I was like from first chapter to last chapter, I was like, "Woo, I finished!" Yeah, but turns out that is just the first draft. Don't be giving that to anyone. <laughs> and you mean you can't publish that? <laughs> <laughs> and it's crazy as a new writer how you don't realize that. Mm-hmm. You think that this is amazing and mm-hmm. I've finished a book. But wow, when you start editing from start to finish, like again and again and again, you really flesh out the book. And that is when it becomes, you can read it back and you think, hang on a minute, this is actually becoming like an actual book. I can yeah. sense it in here. Yeah. But first drafts are rubbish. So do not be sharing that with anyone. <laughs> <laughs> now you are a little bit unique because you actually won your publishing contract, right? Yes. So how did that um, happen? Um, in a in a sense it's a kind of winning there's a it's a quarterly event on twitter mm-hmm. where you have to write an elevator pitch um in your in a tweet which is like 160 characters so you have to mm-hmm. be really clever into like how you're going to um write this tweet right. and how you're going to like grip the agent or the publishers mm-hmm. and it is put out amongst hundreds of thousands of other people doing the exact same thing Mm -hmm. and then if a agent or a publisher they like your tweet it's called pit mad I'm not sure if I mentioned the the competition um if a agent or a publisher like your tweet it means that they uh, like your your pitch and Mm -hmm. they're basically welcoming you to submit 
uh, to them. Mm -hmm. So it's like a full manuscript request, basically. That's what I got off my publishers because I'm pretty sure they commented and asked me for the full manuscript. Okay. So um, I sent them the full manuscript. And after a few rounds of like questions and um, just like proving myself and stuff Mm -hmm. and the series, uh, they offered me a traditional book contract. So and, um, are you contracted for, because I know we've talked about your series and this is you know planned to be three books, right? Yeah. So right, yeah. are you contracted for all three books or just the first one and see how it goes? <laughs> nope. I got a contract for all three books in the okay. process where they was asking me loads of questions. They were asking me about the other two books at the same time. Okay. So when they offered me a contract, it was for all three of the books. Now, so your, <laughs> your writing process, before you started book one, did you know this is going to be three books? Did you pre-plan out the timeline of the three books? Like, do you do you now have a plan for the other two books? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I... You don't have to give, like, you know, spoilers or anything like that, but just yeah, like... <laughs> no. um, so, I knew I wanted it to be a series because... Mm-hmm. When I read a standalone book and I get attached to characters, I get a little bit disappointed when it ends and Mm. my characters that I got so attached to are no longer around. And Mm -hmm. I love series for the opposite reason. I love that they're coming back and you can wait for them to come back. Mm -hmm. So I knew 100% I wanted it to be a series. Mm -hmm. And my idol was J.K. Rowling. And I was like wow how the hell did she know that she could write seven books because when I was just about to start one I didn't even know if I could finish one Mm -hmm. so that I I used to spend a lot of time thinking how did she know that she could do that how did she plan her books so I because I didn't have the confidence to go for seven Mm -hmm. I thought okay I'm I'm gonna do what I think I can achieve and I'm gonna do my three books Mm -hmm. so once I decided it was three books I then outlined them and actually the ending of book one what how this one ends it was not supposed to end like that when I outlined the book that wasn't the ending and it ended a completely different way but what I found when I was stopped when I started to write and I started to know my characters better and um, what I found is actually characters lead you they mm-hmm. actually lead the story and I don't think non-writers would ever grasp that and understand what I mean by the characters lead you you're the writer what do yeah. you mean but they really do I think it's because you don't because you you know your characters to an ex, to a certain extent but when mm-hmm. you write them into a scene you hone in on their personality and their reactions and sometimes they don't react initially how you thought that they would react mm-hmm. so they actually end up turning the story around and leading it somewhere else so yeah I set out to write three books the first book didn't end how it's supposed to the second book it is written and it's being edited now um you by editing me, not okay. by editors. <laughs> yeah by me meaning the first draft is written okay. and it's going through its first rounds of edits okay and the third book I've started because I couldn't help myself I was in the flow <laughs> after ending it 
after ending book two, I was so keen. Like I mm-hmm. needed to carry in the center. The right. I, had to. I need to get this so, out while it's on my mind. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's exactly what happened. So that's like a quarter done. And okay. I ended up jumping way into the future. And I've wrote, I've written the very last chapter as well. Okay. So, done. so as a, someone who reads a lot, so your book is in like YA fantasy dystopian group. And as mm-hmm. someone who reads a lot in that genre, a majority of the ones that at least I've read are three book series for that genre. Now, obviously there's other ones that are longer and shorter, but mm-hmm. you know, that's, I've you know, read a lot that are three book series and then they finish it off or they start, you know, another one down the road with another main character or whatever. Um, now on yours on the, I don't remember the name of the podcast now, but you had mentioned that your main character now didn't start as your main character. So who was the main character? Is, is, is your original main character even in the book still? And what made you change? Yes. Um, so I started writing the book when I thought, right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to write a book. And I got my laptop out and I put up chapter one. And I mm-hmm. thought, okay, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a book. I started writing in third person, but I started writing from Teo's perspective. Okay. And I wrote... <laughs> the whole chapter pretty much from Teo's perspective. Okay. Um, but realized that the book was not going, it was not right. There was something about it that was not right. And I knew that it was not going to be able to have the same effect that, that there was, there was like a feeling or an effect I was going for. And I knew I wasn't getting it from third person. Mm-hmm. And I just realized it was wrong, completely wrong. And I changed I've scrapped that first chapter and I started Mm -hmm. it from the beginning, chapter one, fresh page. And then I started writing it in first person from Aurora's point of view, which as soon as I started writing it. So you had only gotten a chapter in at that point? Yes. Okay, well, (laughs) that's that's good. It wasn't like the whole book and then change your mind. (laughs) And then I realized like, oh, this isn't right. (laughs) No, I could tell as I was writing it, it just wasn't right and something about it. So how many, um, like, friends and family and stuff, did you have people read your book before you tried getting on, you know, the Twitter war thing? Did Had anyone read your book ah. ahead of that? Um, so the you? only, the, I think I had two readers. So my mom was reading my first drafts chapter by chapter as I was finishing a chapter I was Mm -hmm. handing it to my mom and she was reading it and she was she was giving me confidence and saying like I really think you have something here like Mm -hmm. you really need to carry on and you need to finish it and she was like she started talking to me as if my book was not my book and discussing Mm -hmm. like plot lines and characters and stuff like (laughs) you do when you're discussing your favorite with your friends she was doing it with me so I realized that, okay, this is exactly what I wanted and it is interesting enough and mm-hmm. it's going exactly as I want it to go. And mm-hmm. um, then after she was my only reader, then after the first few uh, rounds of edits um, and I was thinking, okay, this is done now. Like I'm pretty sure this is ready to submit. Mm-hmm. I gave it to my mum's best friend and she greeted me at the park with serve honor protect and defend (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> With that and like Hunger Games type three fingers yeah. swing. <laughs> yeah, which was like a dream come true for me. That moment right. was literally like the Hunger Games. <laughs> Roxy's favorite fairy tale when she was a girl was Rapunzel. Rapunzel is a German fairy tale recorded by the Brothers Grimm and first published in 1812 as part of children's and household tales. The Brothers Grimm story is an adaptation of the fairy tale Rapunzel by Frederick Schultz, 1790, that was a translation of Personnet, 1698, by Charlotte Rose de Comment de la Force, which was itself influenced by an earlier Italian tale, Petrocinella, 1634, by Giambattista Basile. Today we'll be reading Petrocinella, but you can also hear the Grimm Brothers' more popularized version on our Patreon. Petrocinella. So great is my desire to keep the princess amused that the whole of the past night, when all were sound asleep and nobody stirred hand or foot, I have done nothing but turn over the old papers of my brain and ransack all the closets of my memory. Choosing from among the stories which that good soul Mistress Chiarella Yusiolo, my uncle's grandmother, whom heaven take to glory, used to tell, such as seemed most fitting to relate to you, and unless I have put on my spectacles upside down, I fancy they will give you pleasure, or should they not serve as armed squadrons to drive away tedium from your mind, they will at least be as trumpets to incite my companions here to go forth to the field with greater power than my poor strength possesses, to supply by the abundance of their wit the deficiencies of my discourse. There was once upon a time a woman named Pascadosia, who was in the family way, and as she was standing one day at a window, which looked into the garden of an ogress, she saw a beautiful bed of parsley, for which she took such a longing that she was on the point of fainting away. And being unable to resist her desire, she watched until the ogress went out and then plucked a handful of it. But when the ogress came home and was going to cook her pottage, she found that someone had been at the parsley and said, Ill luck to me, but I'll catch this long-fingered rogue and make him repent it and teach him to his cost that everyone should eat of his own platter and not meddle with other folks' cups. The poor woman went again and again down into the garden until one morning the ogress met her and in a furious rage exclaimed, have I caught you at last, you thief, you rogue? Prithee do you pay the rent of the garden that you come in this impudent way and steal my plants. By my faith, but I'll make you do penance without sending you to Rome. Poor Pascadosia, in a terrible fright, began to make excuses, saying that neither from gluttony nor the craving of hunger had she been tempted by the devil to commit this fault, but from her being pregnant, and the fear she had lest the child should be born with a crop of parsley on its face and she added that the ogress ought rather to thank her for not having given her sore eyes. Words are but wind, answered the ogress. I am not to be caught with such prattle. You have closed the balance sheet of life unless you promise to give me the child you bring forth, girl or boy, whichever it may be. Poor Pascadosia, in order to escape the peril in which she found herself, swore with one hand upon another to keep the promise. So the ogress let her go free. But when her time was come, Pascadosia gave birth to a little girl, so beautiful that she was a joy to look upon, who, from having a fine sprig of parsley on her bosom, was named Petrocinella. And the little girl grew from day to day until when she was seven years old, her mother sent her to school. 
And every time she went along the street and met the ogress, the old woman said to her, Tell your mother to remember her promise. And she went on repeating this message so often that the poor mother, having no longer patience to listen to the music, said one day to Petrosinella, If you meet the old woman as usual, and she reminds you of the hateful promise, answer her, Take it. When Petrosinella, who dreamt of no ill, met the ogress again and heard her repeat the same words, she answered innocently as her mother had told her, whereupon the ogress, seizing her by her hair, carried her off to a wood, which the horses of the sun never entered, not having paid the toll to the pastures of those shades. Then she put the poor girl into a tower, which she caused to arise by her art, and which had neither gate nor ladder, but only a little window, through which she ascended and descended by means of Petrosinella's hair, which was very long as the sailor is used to run up and down the mast of a ship. Now it happened one day, when the ogress had left the tower, that Petrosinella put her head out of the little window and let loose her tresses in the sun. And the son of a prince passing by saw those two golden banners, which invited all souls to enlist under the standard of love. And beholding with amazement in the midst of those gleaming waves a siren's face that enchanted all hearts, he fell desperately in love with such wonderful beauty, and sending her a memorial of sighs, she decreed to receive him into favor. Matters went on so well with the prince that there was soon a nodding of heads and a kissing of hands, a winking of eyes and bowing, thanks and offerings, hopes and promises, soft words and compliments. And when this had continued for several days, Petrosinella and the prince became so intimate that they made an appointment to meet and agreed that it should be at night when the moon plays at hide-and-seek with the stars, and that Petrosinella should give the ogress some poppy juice and draw up the prince with her tresses. So when the appointed hour came, the prince went to the tower where Petrosinella, letting fall her hair at a given signal, he seized it with both hands and cried, Draw up. And when he was drawn up, he crept through the little window into the chamber. The next morning, before the sun taught his steeds to leap through the hoop of the zodiac, the prince descended by the same golden ladder to go his way home. And having repeated these visits many times, a gossip of the ogress, who was forever prying into things that did not concern her, and poking her nose into every corner, got to find out the secret, and told the ogress to be upon the lookout, for that Petrosinella made love with a certain youth, and she suspected that matters would go further adding that she saw what was going on and feared they would be off and away before May. The ogress thanked her gossip for the information and said she would take good care to stop up the road. And as to Petrosinella, it was moreover impossible for her to escape, as she had a spell laid upon her, so that, unless she had in her hands three gall nuts which were in a rafter in the kitchen, it would be labor lost to attempt to get away. Whilst they were talking thus together, Petrosinella, who stood with her ears wide open and had some suspicion of the gossip, overheard all that passed. And when night had spread out her black garments to keep them from the moth, and the prince had come as usual, she made him climb onto the rafters and find the gall nuts, knowing well what effect they would have, as she had been enchanted by the ogress. Then, having made a rope ladder, they both descended to the ground took to their heels, and scampered off towards the city. But the gossip happening to see them come out set up a loud halloo and began to shout and make such a noise that the ogress awoke. And seeing that Petrosinella had fled, she descended by the same ladder, 
which was fastened to the window, and set off running after the lovers, who when they saw her coming at their heels faster than a horse let loose, gave themselves up for lost. But Petrosinella, recollecting the gall nuts, quickly threw one on the ground, and lo, instantly a Corsican bulldog started up. Oh, mother, such a terrible beast, which with open jaws and barking loud flew at the ogress as if to swallow her at a mouthful. But the old woman, who was more cunning and spiteful than the devil, put her hand into her pocket and pulling out a piece of bread, gave it to the dog, which made him hang his tail and delay his fury. Then she turned to run after the fugitives again, but Petrosinella, seeing her approach, threw the second gallnut on the ground, and lo, a fierce lion arose, who lashing the earth with his tail and shaking his mane and opening wide his jaws a yard apart, was just preparing to make a slaughter of the ogress. When turning quickly back, she stripped the skin off an ass that was grazing in the middle of a meadow and ran at the lion, who, fancying it a real jackass, was so frightened that he bounded away as fast as he could. The ogress, having leapt over the second ditch, turned again to pursue the poor lovers, who, hearing the clatter of her heels and seeing the cloud of dust that rose up to the sky, conjectured that she was coming again. But the old woman who was every moment in dread lest the lion should pursue her, had not taken off the ass's skin. And when Petrosinella now threw down the third gallnut, there sprang up a wolf, who without giving the ogress time to play any new trick, gobbled her up just as she was, in the shape of a jackass. So the lovers, being now freed from danger, went their way leisurely and quietly to the kingdom of the prince, where, with his father's free consent, he took Petrosinella to wife. And thus, after all these storms of fate, they experienced the truth. That one hour in port, the sailor freed from fears, forgets the tempests of a hundred years. Zeza's story was listened to with such delight to the end, that had it even continued for an hour longer, the time would have appeared only a moment. Thank you for joining Freya's Fairy Tales today. Be sure to come back next week for the conclusion of Roxy's journey to holding her own fairy tale in her hands, and to hear another of her favorite fairy tales, Beauty and the Beast. 